Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow, a podcast bringing you information and inspiration from people in all walks of life. This is Chef and Master Chef Season 6 winner Claudia Sandoval. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of In the Know with Erin Glow. I'm so excited for our next guest today. She is an award-winning chef, and in 2015, she actually won the sixth season of the cooking competition show Master Chef, the U.S. version, with Gordon Ramsay. So after winning the title of Master Chef, she began a successful culinary consulting and catering company under the name of Claudia's Cocina. In addition to working with important brands like Coca-Cola, Kellogg's, Nestle, Disney, T-Mobile, and Tajin. She went on to sell her best-selling cookbook, Claudia's Cocina, A Taste of Mexico, in 2016. Now, Claudia has moved from contestant to judge on various shows like Chopped, Chopped Jr., MasterChef Latino on Telemundo, and is now judge on MasterChef Latinos on Australia TV. Most recently, Claudia released a new food travel show called Taste of the Border on Discovery Plus earlier this year. She was also a judge on MasterChef Latino. So she's the wonderful Claudia Sandoval, Chef Claudia. So welcome to the show, Claudia. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for saying Cocina, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I made sure. So I went, (laughs) but yeah, I don't speak Spanish, but um, you know. It is something that I did learn in school, but I forgot it <laughs> when I was in college. <laughs> but yeah, no, definitely. Got to yeah, say it right. Yeah, I appreciate right. it because I'll never forget the time that I was on the Dr. Oz show uh, promoting when Claudia's Cocina came out like in 2016. And back when Dr. Oz wasn't running for office, he was on TV. Um, it was so funny, but uh, he on national television goes, Claudia's Cochina. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Wow. And for those of you who don't speak Spanish, cochina means like dirty girl. Like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> just like one of those moments, like, you know, like those moments you just can't make up, you know? <laughs> right, right. Oh my gosh. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Did you let him know that? Oh, totally. I mean, okay. on national television, we were like, I was like, I was like, by the way, you just called me dirty girl. It's Cocina. And he was like, oh, my gosh. And everybody in the club, you know, because there was like a live studio audience and everybody was laughing. And it was it was actually really funny. You know, it was kind of I love the fact that he kind of just went with it, you know. Right. Um, It was just one of those moments where you just, you know, you can't make up something like that. Um, And it was it was great. I mean, I love that he kind of just took it in stride and kept going. Um, so it was, it was too funny though. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. That's yeah. awesome. What a way to start the show with that kind of laugh. <laughs> All right. That's right. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, you have a, a, an interesting background. I wanted to start off with that. You were born and raised in San Diego, California. So I just wanted yeah. to know if you could start off with telling the listeners a little bit about your background and what life was like for you as a child and and a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up in, um, in San Diego County. I was, um, born and raised here. Um, my mom was a single mom. Uh, we live in a city inside of San Diego County called national city. And I was, you know, born at paradise Valley hospital and all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, grew up with a single mom up until we were about seven. So, you know, it was, it was just me and my brother and my mom for a really long time. And we, we grew up, you know, pretty, um, humbly and uh but my mom was just you know she's such a a hustler you know just always trying to she had like two jobs and then on top of that she would like make tortillas harina by hand every like saturday morning and me and my brother would go out and sell to our neighbors at like seven and six back when you can you know back when things weren't as crazy as they are now i like i would never think of sending my daughter out uh, <laughs> to knock on doors you know but um but back in the eighties, um, <laughs> it, things were much different, you know, and I would, I would go around to all of our neighbors, which we all knew of course. And, uh, we would sell our, our tortillas and, uh, and make money and stuff. And I always, I always, uh, I always love reminiscing on that because I think it just goes to show how long of a way we've come, you know? And, um, my mom always, always like, why are you always telling that story? And I'm like, because I think it's important for people 
that maybe come from super humble beginnings um, to know that, you know, that just because that's where you start doesn't mean that that's where you're going to end. Um, you know, and, and on this crazy journey of life, I think that life just ebbs and flows in so many directions uh, constantly. And so I, I really like to share that part because I think it's, it's so crucially important. Um, yeah, I mean, I went to all the local schools here in National City in San Diego and ended up going to a community college after high school. Um, and then from community college transferred to San Diego State University. Um, I have a degree in philosophy of all random things, uh, but I, get, I think my goal back then was to go to law school and become a judge. And I'm a very like structured person. I think a lot of people think that, you know, um, because I'm an Aries, I'm like fire energy and like passionate and all those things. And I am, but I love structure and I love rule of law and all of those things. And and I also felt like, you know, we need more Latina judges. So I was all about that. And but right around the time that I transferred to San Diego State was um, when I separated from my husband and went on to become a single mom myself with a, with a daughter living in a one-bedroom apartment. Um, I pretty much left with nothing. I left my marriage with nothing. And so we had to start from pretty much um, an empty apartment with boxes to hold up a TV that was given to us, you know. Um, and we were sleeping on a I, – I shared on the show – uh, for those of you know uh, of the listeners who watched my show, we shared a bed that was given to us, you know, and uh, everything that was in our apartment was really given to us because we just didn't have, I I didn't have the means to just buy you know all of this furniture for us. Um, but you know, I decided to take a leap, went on Master Chef, and kind of said the rest. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing all that. Yeah, yeah. So you basically, I love what you said, where you don't necessarily end up where you started you know, your hard times don't last forever. And I think that's so important to know when you're in the midst of those hard times is to know that this is temporary, you know? Yes, yes, yes. No, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, even since winning MasterChef, you know, I think for the last like six, seven years, I've been nonstop working. And I think with inflation and just everything that's been going on that all of us are fully aware of, of course, because we're feeling it not just in our purse strings, but, you know, at the gas pump, at our jobs, you know, when we go out and visit a restaurant and we see the the cost of, of dishes now, I think we're all feeling it. And because of that, work has slowed down for the first time in seven years um, since winning MasterChef. And I think I told a, a really good friend of mine the other day, I said, I, I didn't realize how long I had been working nonstop. And I just, I guess like it was time to take a break, you know, it was time to stop. And I've probably been out of work now for a couple of months. I'm not going to lie, but it's been so important to kind of go back to kind of what I just said. You know, it's like life ebbs and flows, right? There's really great times. There's good times. And then there's just times when, you know, things just stop and, and, and it gets hard. Um, and so I'm back to like, you know, really, really sticking to a budget and making sure that I'm not spending more than I need to, you know, because I'm still a single mom and a single income in San Diego. Let me tell you, girl, <laughs> it is, um, it is hard, you know? So, um, you know, I, I, I take whatever jobs I can get and, you know, whether it's fine dining, private dining, little things like that, or, you know, appearances or, or things like that, whatever I can, you know, I take whatever I can get. Um, and I'm grateful for it. And and I'm grateful for the time too. I mean, I think so often it's like, you know, you, you see people with a lot of success and, and you only see the success. You don't see the work and sacrifice that's behind that. You know, I've spent months filming whenever I was filming Taste of the Border and filming, you know, MasterChef Latinos, I spent six months away from my daughter and people don't see that, you know, they don't see how hard it is to come back, how much your kid misses you. And especially as a single mom, you know, it's just me and her. So there's nobody to say, oh, well, your dad was there. He could help you. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it makes it hard. But then when those moments come back where it's like, yeah, maybe I'm not making a ton of money. Maybe I don't seem incredibly successful right now, but I'm incredibly successful mom right now. I've I've gotten the opportunity to spend so much time with my daughter, helping her apply for her own universities now that she's a senior in high school, which is insane in of itself. Um, and so, you know, I may not be really, really wealthy and, you know, it, it may not be a very lucrative time for Claudia Sandoval, but in terms of being a mom and my heart and my emotions and where I am in life right now, I just feel like I just got a break to just recharge and, and reconnect with everybody that's important to me who has just been incredibly supportive across the last seven years. 
Great. I love your honesty. And just that's so helpful to other people as well to to kind of get inspired by you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like what I tell you, right? Like how, how much I mean, I'll just give you an example. Right. And I'm in no like microcosm of a level as the Kardashians. Right. But how often do we watch people like the Kardashians or any other person on, on a show, right? And we think, oh my God, they must be making tons of money, you know? And 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 don't get me wrong, I, the Kardashians are obviously very wealthy, so probably a bad example. But, you know, a lot of these people that you see on cooking shows and things like that, they get paid a fee for that episode and that's it. They don't make royalties. They don't, you know, like for movies, for example, right? Actors make money as long as the the the, the, the video or the movie is shown, but for TV shows, it doesn't work that way. So, you know, regardless of how much that is getting paid, you'll get paid, you know, a couple thousand dollars for that one episode, and then you'll never get paid again, right? Um, Even though they might have reruns and all this stuff, and it gets sold to another network and all these things. And so I think that idea of like, people are on a TV show, they're making tons of money is definitely like, that's one of the big demystifying things that has changed for me too, where I'm like, dang, man, these people are really out there hustling, you know, (laughs) all these people that you see on the Food Network. um, That's why they still have to have restaurants. That's why they still have to have a day job per se, right? Because TV just doesn't pay the bills as much as we think it does. Right. And they're just people. It's it's hard to remember that. I mean, when you, uh, you're not in the vicinity, like I'm from, you know, Massachusetts way on the east coast and I remember yeah. growing up you would always see people on tv and you were nowhere near that so you always just it was like oh wow those people are so lucky they're so you know on top of the world and then I move out to LA and I'm like oh, wow these people are real people like this is you know they're real people even though they're in the spotlight so it's it's hard to remember that all the time yeah absolutely yeah so you said you were taught to cook by your mother and your grandmother So I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Uh, What was that like? And was food and cooking a large part of your life growing up? Did you have any favorite recipes or memories that go along with that? Oh, my God. I mean, so many. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so many. And, you know, now that I don't have my grandma here, um, we just lost her a couple of years ago. I feel like all of those memories are just so much more precious and so much more important, you know, and I'm grateful for it. I mean, a lot of people, I think even recently I've heard like, oh, my mom wasn't a big cook. And so I don't really have somebody to learn from, you know, or, or my mom was so busy because she was a single mom. And so she just kind of always just made us fish sticks and whatever she could microwave quickly, you know, and I'm like, man, like, I feel so incredibly privileged and lucky. But I think a lot of the reason why they kind of made it a point to teach us is because I think they thought that like, it's, it's kind of that migrant mentality, right? If we've moved, we're no longer where we are from. And so therefore, how can you continue to keep your culture alive? And I think that, that that is the way that they thought they could keep a little bit of themselves. And that was through food. Um, you know, my family migrated to, um, the States, um, or to the border region, better yet in the 1970s. Um, my grandmother's the one that gave birth to my mom and my great aunt, um, who I was actually just speaking of, and I'll explain. Um, they both came up here in the 70s um, and they came to pick grapes. They were migrant workers. They were picking grapes. They were picking strawberries, walnuts, all of these different things. They would get migrant visas um, to come over for a certain amount of months. And then when they were done, they would come back to Tijuana, which is the city that's just south of San Diego across the border. And so they set up base in Tijuana and the person who gave birth to my mom, my grandma Cleo, um, she, she ended up passing away when my mom was seven years old. So the person that ended up assuming the role of my grandmother was technically my great aunt. And that's the person that I speak of when I say she was sharing her recipes. But I think there was also a very cathartic way of thinking of it in the sense that you know, here we had lost such an incredible human being with my with my grandmother who I never met. And so I think it was both a way of, of showing and sharing a little bit of my grandma to me and for those recipes to not disappear. You know, from what I hear, they were both excellent cooks. Um, they would make like these huge, you know, quantities of tamales and sell them. And I think we were always just what I'm most proud of and I always share is like, I come from a long line of women who, who worked hard, who loved to feed people and um, who really valued um, the importance of kind of our cultural and regional cuisine and wanted to continue to share it with uh, the future generations. And that's exactly what I want to do. 
I think it's, I'm so incredibly lucky that way, you know, because I get a lot of people don't, don't get that. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's so nice that you're honoring your grandma that way and that your aunt kind of took over that role and that strong family dynamic. And then to have that be the start of your cooking journey is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll never forget the, the first thing that I was required to do is, is how we roast chilies. And I don't know if you're familiar, but usually we, f- we put them right on the flame, right? I was like four years old when I was preparing salsas and roasting chiles and, and tatemando, tatemando is like the, the word for roasting chiles on like a, on like a comal and, and a t- you know, you put tomatoes and all of that stuff and you kind of almost char it on the outside. Uh, to take all of those natural sugars from these ingredients and caramelize them, right? Known as the Maillard reaction. And so I think like even at four years old, right? It wasn't about like, it wasn't about like, oh, let me have you help me, right? I know they could have done it like three times as fast, right? But rather it was like learning all of those things. And it's it's funny because, you know, when I roast chiles now, it's like one of the most nostalgic things for me to do, right? It's it's nostalgia in a smell, right? It's that the the smell of burning chiles is like, it just transports me back to those moments with my abuela and with my mom, you know, in front of fire. And like, I I tried with my daughter, my daughter had none of it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I tried, you know, I tried to teach her early on. But you know, even some of my friends would be like, what do you mean you're putting your kid in front of a like, like live fire? And I'm like, what are you what are you talking about? Like, that's how I was raised. You know, like, what what do you mean you wouldn't? And they're like, but they risk burning themselves. And I was like, I bet you they won't burn themselves again. Like, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's learn. funny that you learn from these things, you know? Um, and they were just like, you're crazy. And I'm like, no, like, that's just, I'm, I was, that's how I was raised, you know? And I get different people have different ideas of, of how, how and when you should introduce children into the kitchen. But I tell you when I, when I think of those core memories, like it's, it's definitely me, my grandma, um, me and my mom in the kitchen, even if it was like my first tortilla, my first rolled out tortilla that looked like the shape of Africa. And I told my mom, I was like, oh, look, it looks like Africa. And she's just like, oh my gosh, Claudia, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so when you were four, you said that? Um, no, I was like, I think I was like six or seven, probably. But, but I was still, really I smart. Mean, you'd even yeah, know I that. Really yeah. <laughs> I was really smart. My mom, my mom was also like really big about me learning about, you know, my American side, right? I mean, I may have Mexican heritage, but she was very proudly a citizen of, of the United States. My grandmother married uh, somebody who was naturalized. And so we, by, by, because of that, uh, we're all naturalized. So we're, you know, we've been US citizens since my mom. And so technically I'm, I'm second generation, you know? And so it's really interesting and fascinating because she was always like, well, you got to learn. So I remember having like almost this puzzle where I had all of the 50 States and she wanted me to remember, you know, which capital belonged to which state. And like, you know, and then I had like another one that was like the world. So that's why I knew that it was like Africa because I knew the seven different continents, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that was, you know, I I think is a lot of it just has to do with how my mom raised me. You know, she was, she wanted me to, to, to learn that working hard and studying hard meant that good things were going to come. And, and um, I think it paid off. Definitely. I love that. That's so awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little about, Master Chef, you won the sixth season in 2015. Amazing. Mm-hmm. You were awarded uh, the Master Chef trophy, the right to publish your own cookbook, and a salary of $250,000. Now, how did you find your way on the show? Um, was there an audition process? And what led you to that moment of saying, oh, I think I'm going to try out for this? Well, it's not a salary. It's an award. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I corrected an award. <laughs> I, think, I think we all wish there was a salary because you spend three months away from your family. And so it feels like you should be paid, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, no, I, I used to work for an advertising agency here in San Diego. And um, just before that, I had started an Instagram community called Instagrammers San Diego, IGers, I-G-E-R-S, IGers San Diego. And so we would feature pictures of Instagrammers from San Diego who were posting pictures around San Diego. And so through meeting this advertising agency, we set up and held the world's largest instant meet here in San Diego. And so back then I was working with somebody, Lauren Galloway, who was just really interested in that kind of world just as much as I was. And 
Um, she used to be my kind of like community um, curator. And so she was posting and doing all of those things and helping me to create Instagram meetups and things like that. And so just, you know, somebody to help me out with all of the work that it required. And meanwhile, Lauren was a community writer for Entertainment Weekly. She would do kind of like these community updates and um, articles on because she's a writer. Uh, she's a screenwriter, actually. She would do all of these kind of recaps on the shows. And so she had just finished up the recap for uh, MasterChef season five. Um, and she reached out and she said, hey, so you know how I'm like doing this community writing thing? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, well, the casting department reached out and they said that if we could share, you know, kind of this MasterChef casting call. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do it, whatever. And she goes, but, you know, like I'm sharing it with you, but I, like I really think you should apply. Like you're always posting food. You're always like, you know, you're always winning these awards. Like I had just won like a salsa competition, like a salsa making, not salsa dancing. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, I was like, important clarification. (laughs) And, um, I just like won like a salsa making competition at work. It wasn't even serious. Like it was just like, whatever, a little thing. And then I had one like this baking competition that I won $500 for and like little things like that. Right. And so she was like, you've got to do this. And I was like, okay, I mean, sure. Like, you know, I was like, I don't know, man. So I said like, I'll think about it. And back then I was working with my boss in the same office and she kind of we our backs faced each other and I kind of turned around and I was like, Hey, Amy, Lauren thinks like I should apply for MasterChef. And she just turned around and she like B worded me, right? Like, yes. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to curse. So I was like, Oh, oh she yeah. was like, yeah. Oh, she's like, bitch. Yes. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Like, you know, how, you know, how, like when sometimes you tell your friend a story because you really kind of want them to take your side and then they don't take your side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I wanted her to be like, yeah, she's crazy. You're a single mom. You can't afford to do that. Like you're working. You just got a new job, whatever, you know? And she was like, yes. And I was like, what? So anyway, she, she had to go into her kind of like her one-on-one meeting with one of the founders, you know, one of the partners for the firm. And so uh, she, she goes in there and then she, I think the assistant or she comes back and she's like, you know, Ender wants to talk to you. And I'm like, okay. And the, <laughs> the partner at the office, uh, she was the, the only female partner. She's like, so Amy told me about, you know, this, and this. And I'm like, uh-huh. And she's like, we totally think you should do it. And I'm like, what? I'm like, how are you guys deciding for me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were just like, so encouraging. And I explained that a lot of my concerns really had to do with how am I going to leave my daughter? I don't have a lot of time off. I can't afford to leave. I'm going to leave her without insurance, you know, and they were like, we'll cover the insurance. And they were just, they were so gracious and so wonderful and gave me like a, a leave of absence so that I could have my job when I came back. And so they were just incredible. And, um, I call, I think I called, no, I submitted my application online and then I got an email saying you've been VIP. And I was like, what? And then a little while after that, they called me to schedule an appointment. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, what is, what does VIP mean? You know? And so they were like, you've been VIP. One of the casting producers really liked your profile, whatever your application, what time do you want to come in? And I was like, (laughs) and so I think I like booked it at like one or something. And they were like, great, we'll see you tomorrow. You know, bring this, and I was like, okay. So the next morning it's like 10 o'clock, 10 30 in the morning. And I'm like still laying in bed, scrolling through it must've been Instagram, you know, scrolling through Instagram, kind of like laying down by myself. And back then my sister was kind of sleeping on my couch and she comes in and she's like, Hey, um, aren't you supposed to be getting ready right now? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, don't you have like the audition for MasterChef? And I'm like, no, I mean, no, why am I going to go dude? I'm like, why am I going to go? I'm going to go. And then I'm going to, they're going to pick me, right. I'm going to move on in the competition or whatever in the audition process. And then they're going to say, you need to come to LA and I'm going to have to leave for weeks. Like I can't afford to leave. I don't have any money in my savings. I don't have this. I don't have that. And leave it to my sister. Right. She goes, wow, your head's so big that you actually think you've already made it through the, <laughs> that you've already made it through the audition process. And I was like, and I just like stood there like, wow, like that's all you had to say. Like, I thought she was going to like give me something else, you know? She was like, wow, your head's that big, huh? And she's like, she's like, okay. And she just closes the door. Like, doesn't let me respond, nothing. Just closes the door. And I just sat there with her words, you know? And I was just like, shit, she's right. You know, like how, 
dare I think that like somehow I'm magically going to end up on this show. And of course I was right. (laughs) (laughs) I made it on the show. um, And uh, I, I auditioned in uh, September and I got the call back in December and I, I got several calls actually. I believe it or not. I said no twice. I said, I cannot go. I cannot be paid. And they were like, well, let me find out if there's going to be like a per diem. And then they were like, okay, you will get a per diem, but you won't get it for the first two weeks, but you'll get it if, if you're got like, if you're, if you stay on the show, then you'll get per diem and it'll be this much. And I was like, okay, well, let me calculate how much that would be so that I can know like how much more I would need. You know, you get my point. Yeah. So it was just like a whole thing. And they were like, and the producer was like, listen, they really want you on this show. So like, you should really come, you know? And I was just like, I just don't know. I don't know how I'm going to make this work. And so I finally had a conversation with some of my coworkers and uh, we had gone to like happy hour or something. And they were like, listen, I think you should just do like a GoFundMe. And I was like, what do you, and what am I going to say? I can't say, Hey guys, I'm going to go on MasterChef. You know, I can't say anything because you've already signed a confidentiality contract at that point. So I'm like, what am I going to say? And they're like, you just say that you have an opportunity to change you in your daughter's life. And I was like, I don't know you guys. And they were like, we'll help you set it up. So they set it up and they put a picture of me and my daughter from Christmas and we posted it. And I kind of, honestly, like I was just like, I'm going to say a little prayer, right? At that point I had realized that to be gone three months, I would need $1,100 per month to cover my costs. Um, That would cover my rent, that would cover my car payment, and that would cover food for my daughter, which believe it or not, that's how much it took back then. Um, (laughs) And I said, you know, God, if, if this is meant for me and I'm not a very, I need you to know, I'm not a religious person, but I am you know, I do believe that there are higher powers out there. And I was just like, listen, you know, God, if this is meant for me, I need $3,300. If it's not meant for me, that's fine. You know, no big deal. And three days it took $3,300. Exactly. And when I say exactly, I mean, exactly. Like not $1 more, not $5 more, not like 20, nothing like exactly $3,300. And so like, how can you say to yourself, like, no, I'm still not going to go. Clearly meant to be like very meant to be, you know, it felt very meant to be. And so I was like, shit, I gotta go. I gotta go. Um, and I'm not going to lie the day that I left, um, I had to leave like at four in the morning because my train up to LA was like at six in the morning and my daughter rolls over. Cause again, we were sharing a bed. She rolls over and she's like, don't go mom. And I, you know, like, um, I don't like, I don't want to cry, but, um, it's like one of those moments where you're just like, shit, like I did not want to leave her, you know? Um, but I also know because I, I, I can't even imagine, like I, you know, I think in, in all of this, I'm, I'm most grateful for her and her resilience and, um, and her letting the world borrow her mom, you know? Um, yeah. How lucky am I to have a daughter that um, has sacrificed so much of her mom so that, you know, we could we could do this. But I mean, the sacrifice paid off. And I mean, yeah, I won $250,000. And it felt so surreal. It felt like I was living in a twilight zone because for months, <laughs> I didn't have it. You know, I, I didn't have the money. But man, like going into that competition, you know, I think if you watch it back after listening to this, you'll see that it's, it was one of those things where you, where you can tell that I was so hungry for it. Like I, there was no choice, but to win, you know, like there was no choice, like everything was on the line and, and it wasn't just to be like, just to say it, you know, a lot, I, after the show, you know, there's always haters and there's people and they would always be like, Oh yeah, she's using her daughter as a pawn. And I'm like, no, it's because they literally have no idea how bad it was for us, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, everything was on the line and I'm just, I'm so grateful that she, she let me go and, and, um, and that I got on the train, man, because oh, if all of those things hadn't lined up, if Lauren hadn't told me about it, you know, if Elo and Jess hadn't, uh, asked me to set up that GoFundMe, you know, um, and my sister hadn't told me to get out of bed, you know, I think like all, if all of those things hadn't lined up, you know, who knows where I would be right now. And so I'm, I'm so grateful. Right. I think it led to where exactly you were supposed to be. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. I remember watching your story on there. It was so touching. And just your daughter, like you said, it was just you inspired me. And I, and you know, <laughs> my life is nowhere near like yours, but I'm sure you inspired so many other single moms out there. And that's what's so important. And just seeing hard work, determination, and just, I think, being a good person overall, you win that. And then the rest, you know, I think kind of the universe takes care of it for you. 
But what would you say was the most challenging part about being on the show? And did you have like a favorite moment? I mean, you mean like challenging in terms of the competition or just challenging in general? Um, Both or whatever, whatever you want to say. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think obviously the most challenging was being away from family and friends and a lot of people don't know this, but being on those shows, um, you're sequestered. Like they take away your phone as soon as you get off of the train, plane, automobile, whatever. Um, so they take your phone away. They literally put it in a manila envelope and you don't see it until you are either eliminated or until you win. Um, so I didn't have my phone for all of like, you know, three months, um, which is alone crazy as you I'm sure no, because we're attached to our phones, you know, mm-hmm. didn't have a cell phone. I would get a 10 minute phone call to speak to my daughter once a week. Um, and it was not always at the same time or the same day. So there were three weeks passed by that I wasn't able to speak to my daughter because they, the time that they would give us was during when she was at school and that broke me, you know? And, and I think low key now, no, now knowing what I know, I feel like they did it on purpose. <laughs> Um, because of course what happens, right? You're isolated. You don't have anybody that you trust around you. And that's not to speak badly about anybody that's on in the competition because I have incredible friends from the competition, but you know, these are people that you've just met, right? And these are people who would take you out at the knees in order to take $250,000, right? So there's that competition level of, of strategy that I think a lot of people were playing, you know, of, of befriending certain people and, um, kind of to, to understand what they were going to do next and what they were planning. And because I didn't want to play that game, I just kind of isolated. And I feel like I started to kind of fall back into what has been a long bout of depression since I was like 19, you know? And so I was really depressed. I wasn't around like my core people, you know, um, and, and my core source of energy and and drive, which is my daughter, you know, and I think that's a really hard place to be in. And I don't think anybody will ever understand unless you're on a show like that. Um, I I know that they've changed some things now. The guys, I always say that the people, you know, the, all of the people that uh, have participated in MasterChef Latinos, they have it easy because they have their cell phones and they always joke. And I'm like, listen, I, I went through what I went through, you know, was it hard? Yes. Like, was it, you know, and so it's not that I wish them the same, but rather like, what do they, what do they say? Like diamonds are created with pressure, you know? And, and, um, that isolationism also drove me in a different direction. And it was instead of seeking to connect with other people, I was there for one reason and that was to win. So there were nights that, uh, we would get back from set at eight o'clock PM and I would take a shower right away and, get into my pajamas and then call the production office and say, hi, can I please be walked to what was called the library? And I would go to the library and stay there as long as they would let me sometimes midnight. And the next morning I'd have to wake up at four in the morning, do my own hair and makeup so that we could be downstairs by six o'clock to drive to set. So I was sleeping four hours a, you know, a night and doing all of that. And, and so my point to you is I think like your mental health during that is like, is, is probably the hardest thing. I think in terms of challenges, you know, I don't think that there was a, there is one that stands out. I think what stands out for me during that competition is just how perspective really skews things. You know, I, I felt that one of the hard things for me was, you know, at this point it was 2015 and Latino food, while we may say is having its, you know, its day, I really don't think it has. Um, I think very few people understand what true Mexican regional cuisine is. When you think of Italy, you go, oh, yeah, there's Sicily, there's northern Italy, there's there's different types of regions. And depending on which region you come from, you know, you have cacio e pepe from Rome. And then, you you know, you have the all of the, the incredible cacetores and things like that from Sicily. And you can understand that because it's, it's it's more widely accepted and more more popularized. But I've served dinners to some elite chefs who have absolutely no idea what a tetela is. And the tetela is a triangle shaped kind of almost empanada, a corn empanada, if you will, folded into a triangle that has been one of the longest standing foods of Mexico back all the way to the Mayans and the Aztecs. And yet nobody knows about a tetela, right? And so I think that there's so much still to learn. And so it was hard for me because I think I would try to do more than what people were ready for, you know? And so that was very hard. That was very hard to to think, okay, how can I Americanize this enough or Frenchify this enough so that it is palatable to chefs that know a lot, but that don't know my culture's food enough, but that respect it 
and that are trying to understand, you know, and so I did that through ingredients, but I, I kept names French, you know, <laughs> I'm making you a strawberry compote, you know, I'm making you, you know, things like that. Um, because if I used Spanish words for them, then it would just be lost. Right. That was hard. Did you have a favorite moment that happened on the show? Yes. I don't think I've told anybody this out loud on like a podcast or anything. So you're going to get a complete inside scoop on this. Nice. <laughs> um, up until up until we were in the top five, no woman on my season had won a mystery box challenge. My best friend on the show was Nick, uh, who is an Italian. <laughs> and he was like, you know, he's, he's very like rough around the edges, kind of like your Italian big brother, you know? And uh, we lift our mystery boxes and I have a tomato in front of me. Now, everybody there knows that I'm the best at desserts. And Nick lifts his up and it's chocolate. <laughs> if there's anything that speaks to Italians, it's either garlic or tomatoes, right? Right. And so Nick literally looks at me and winks like, cool. You know, like just assuming outright that like, you know, he was going to get this tomato. What he didn't know is for some reason the night before, I had literally dreamt of a dish featuring tomatoes. Oh, wow. And so when I had a tomato in front of me, like I looked up, saw Nick wink, and I was like, shit. Because it was those moments where you think to yourself, do I help myself or do I help my friend? You know? And that really sucked because I love Nick. I still love Nick. Like I still hang out with Nick. Um, and... I was just like, shit, what do I do? Because I knew that leaving him with chocolate was a hands down because Nick did not, could not, I mean, not do well with pastry. So I was just like, oh God, what do I do? And then it just like in my gut, I was like, no, I got to do this, man. I got to keep the tomato. Like I got to do what, like what I dreamed, you know? And it wasn't exactly what I plated, but it was a version of, right? It was a more extrapolated version of it, but I won that mystery box. Um, and I'll never forget that, you know, Gordon said, like, this is the best you've ever cooked. And it, I just was like, you know, like it just, you know, I, I made essentially like what I made was like a tomato milfoy, like a savory milfoy, but using tortillas, harina, right? So going back to my roots. So using a flour tortilla um, as the layers instead of, you know, puff pastry. And so still keeping to my roots, still keeping to my flavors, but creating something that was very Frenchified. And I think, I, I think for me, that was where it really changed, where they were like, okay, we can, we see where you're going. You know, we see who you are on a plate. Um, you know, and he said, you know, like you're showing the people behind you that you're here to win. Um, and so that was, that was huge, you know? Definitely. First woman. That's awesome. Yeah. First and only woman to win a, a, a mystery box in that, in that season. Wow. Yeah. Okay, Claudia, we're going to take a minute because it's time for a love letter break. Now, Love Letter Break is a break I take in each episode where I ask the guests to come up with one to three people to basically give a shout out to, to um, just give a message of gratitude to that has changed your life in some way. So who did you choose for your Love Letter Break and what would you like to say to them? I think my love letter is is to my daughter. <laughs> you know, um, I think like I mentioned and touched on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, I think... Um, my daughter has been and has to this day taught me so much, not just about myself, but about life and just her resilience and her poise and just dealing with fans pulling on her mom, you know, and, and harassing us online and saying horrible things. And, you know, I, I think for anyone, even an adult, right? Mostly adults, like you think like, oh, I can handle it. I can, I can ignore those people. And, but when it's somebody's talking about your mom that way, like, I don't know that I would have at her age been able to handle from nine until what she's now 17. Um, I don't think that I would have been able to handle all of that, you know, and, and she's just so incredibly poised, so incredibly um, composed and, and thoughtful and loving and supportive and selfless, you know, for her to be able to share me with the world, um, I think is, is, is beautiful. And, and she thinks about you guys first which I always think is the sweetest thing. She's like, well, what do you, what do you think your fans would want? You know? And I'm like, oh my God, mom, 
like mamita you know it's just it's so sweet and i just um yeah she's she's just such an incredible incredible human who has taught me so much and i'm just so incredibly grateful for her so yeah it's my love letter oh i love that thank you now did gordon leave you with any good pieces of advice after you won I mean, Gordon's still <laughs> still sharing advice, you know, so I mean, I, I don't think through the competition, maybe not not so much, except for the fact that every now and then he'd almost give me like a look where it was like, I don't know if you everybody always asks me about Gordon, right? The, the question that everybody always, is, is Gordon really that mean? Right? Yes, everybody wants yes. to know that. <laughs> yeah. Is Gordon really that mean? Um, and, and I always tell everybody, Gordon is like a dad, right? Like a really, really strict dad. The kind where like when you bring home a B, he'll be like, mm, this could have been an A. And then you're like, damn. So then you bring him the next semester and you're like, bam, A. And he's like, yeah, but it could have been an A plus. And you're like, what? <laughs> so then the next, you know, semester you bring him an A plus and then he goes, oh, it could have been an AP class. And you're like, what? So then you bring, you bring him the advanced placement class and he's like, yeah, but it could have been college credit. And you're like, what? You know, so Gordon to say is, is one of those people that will constantly push you beyond what you've already reached. And so I think the most valuable lesson that I learned from him is, and I say this to all of my employees too, I'm like, you know, when I'm working, I'm serious. I'm working, right? We are focused on what we're doing. And, and then after we can have all the fun in the world, right? But Gordon Ramsay, when he's in a kitchen, he goes into chef mode, right? There is no, we're having fun. We're going to like, you know, have a drink. Nope. There's, it's like full focus, passion, like, you know, so I think that when a lot of people see, you know, this like crazy, like loud screaming, saying obscenities person, they're thinking, oh, he's just a mean person. And I don't, I've realized it's not that it's that it's like just this dedication to passion. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and, and I think that that's also what I've taken with me to, you know, being a judge is, you know, that was also some of his advice was just like, you know, just remember what it felt like to be there because, and he said to me, you're probably one of the only people that actually knows what it's like to be there as a judge. So like offer them enough grace, but also don't allow them to tell you what they can't do. Right. So for example, I could sit there and tell Gordon Tom blue in the face. I didn't have enough time to finish. That wasn't enough time. Look, all of us, all 12 of us didn't finish. We could say that, right? We could sit there and say that and say, well, Chef Gordon, if you were on this side and you had to start from scratch and you had to run for ingredients and you had to do it, you probably wouldn't be able to do it in 60 seconds, right? Or 60 minutes or whatever. And because Gordon's never been in that position, he might not actually be able to argue. Guess what? My contestants can't say that <laughs> because I know what it's like to be on that side, you know? And so what happens? You have to get smart. You know, you learn little tri tricks, right? You grab a bucket, you know, so, or, or pots and you stuff your pots with all of the ingredients and you make sure that you pick up everything. So you don't have to keep running back and forth because every time you have to run back and forth, that takes you an extra three, two minutes, one minute. And those minutes are crucial when you're in the kitchen and you're being timed, right? The way that you set up your plates, right? The way that in the sense of how you strategize what you're going to serve on the plate, right? You're not going to make something that takes 60 or 55 minutes to cook. Why not? Because a 55 minute plate is still going to require you to prep it. It's going to still require you for you to bring up your pan to heat. It's going to still require for you to cook it and then open it and then plate it, which at least takes two to three minutes. So when you think about it, a 55 minute taking dish is not going to work. When they give you 60 minutes, what they're really giving you is 45 minutes. And when they're giving you 30 minutes, what they're really giving you is about 15 minutes. And so what can you cook in that amount of time that allows you time to run for ingredients, think for two minutes, come back, get all of your stations set up, get all of your mise en place set up so that in the 15 minutes you can boom, 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 boom. But those are things that you have to learn once you're in the competition, right? And those are things that people don't do, right? They set themselves up for failure, trying to bite off more that they can chew instead of trying to focus on making simple things that are going to be executed beautifully, that are going to take the time to be basted correctly, that are going to take the time to sear them correctly, instead of trying to create a dish that's so complex that you don't, you know, you don't finish it and it's poorly done. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot to take. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. That's awesome. <laughs> One of the You're all, okay, and I'm applying for MasterChef tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. 
Yeah, no, you, yeah, you, you deserve to be in that position. <laughs> you know what you're talking about. That's awesome. I mean, I'm telling you, like, I mean, you either get smart really quick or you leave, right? Right. So you have to figure all of those things out. And I mean, like I told you, I'm a very strategic person in the sense of like breaking things down and understanding them. And so once I started to see like, okay, I need, I need this much time to play it. I need this much time to set up my prep. I need this much time. By this time, I'll be ready to cook. Then you start to realize that, oh man, it's taking me three minutes to like just set up my station so that I can be ready to cook. So then I need to take away three minutes and hey, the potatoes take 20 minutes to cook. So I'm going to put those in first because by the time that that's halfway done, then I can put the meat on. And then at the time that the potatoes are going to come out, the steak is already going to be resting. So I'll have no, I'll have time to be able to mash the potatoes or whatever. You get what I'm saying. Yeah. But you have to start to break it down to that level so that you can time yourself correctly because otherwise you'll just be in a position. And this is what restaurants have mastered, right? Literally, like they've literally mastered it to the point where usually a dish will take about six to maximum 12 minutes to get out of the kitchen, believe it or not. So the ticket will come in and yes, like it'll be sitting there and yes, it'll take you 22 minutes to receive it or 30 minutes or whatever time it takes. But the kitchen has to turn around every dish in about six to 12 minutes. That's insane if you think about it. It's a sense of efficiency that that has to be mastered. And if you can't master that on, on a show like MasterChef, then you're, you know, you're not going to be in a good place. Right. Yeah. A lot of people don't think about that. That's why that show really yeah, brings no. exposure to, you know, behind the food basically. Yeah. Yeah. So did you do anything fun to celebrate winning and do you still have your trophy? I did some of the things that I would thought I would never be able to do. My trophy is literally sitting in front of me. Awesome. Um, I'm like looking at it right now. Like if I look to the right of the laptop, it's right there. Oh, wow. Um, in terms of what I did, I didn't do anything like really crazy. My, what I had promised my daughter uh, was that we would take a trip to Paris. That did not happen because unfortunately, right when we were booking uh, was when the Paris bombings happened. Um, oh, wow. So I was like, what's your cho- second choice? You know, oh, right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, let's think about another place. Um, and so we ended up uh, we ended up booking Japan. So we went to Japan for two weeks. So that was a ton of fun. Um, and of course, as the total foodie, I like, you know, smuggled back some Bonito flakes uh, <laughs> and uh, went to like the like the Nishiki markets and just all oh, just all of this amazing stuff. So it was it was incredible. Um, and ate all the things right. But for me, for me, um, I mentioned that I didn't have furniture. I went out and bought us like a full house of furniture, which was amazing to sleep on a brand new bed. I mean, I literally still get into my bed and I'm like, oh, this is the best ever. <laughs> Seven years later. So, you know, I got a good mattress uh, and it was, it wasn't even that expensive, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, you can tell it's like a good mattress and it's just, Oh it's yeah. So when you change your bed, um, you can tell. <laughs> and then, and then I went on, I went to eat at um, Michelin starred restaurants that I thought I would never, um, I went to eat at Dominique Krenz restaurant and met her for the first time and cried my eyes out. Um, she's somebody that I look up to incredibly. And so, yeah, the first time I met her, believe it or not, I actually met her because I was doing an event with Tahin and I was in Napa at the culinary Institute and, uh, she was doing a book signing and I went over there and I was just like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. And I'll never forget. I just started crying and hugging her. And she was just like, Oh my God. And she, by the way, is like the sweetest person if you've never met her. And she just was like, kept hugging me. And I was just like, I just, you know, you never think you're going to meet your idols. Like you never think you're going to meet your heroes. And then when you do, it's just, and you're just so incredible and so wonderful and so warm and such an incredible human being. Like you just, I want to say that it was like before, like the Netflix, you know, like the, the chef's table, whatever. And then once I saw her on chef's table, I was like, I love her more. (laughs) (laughs) And now I've been so bit, like so incredibly blessed to be able to like work with her at events and stuff like that. And I'm just like, how is this my life? You know? Right. Um, yeah. yeah, it's still to date one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Now she's a three Michelin starred restaurant. When I went, she was still two Michelin. So, <sighs> but the only woman to have uh, two Michelin stars back then. And, and now the only woman in the United States to have three Michelin stars. So very, very happy for her. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about your success after MasterChef. Yeah. You released a cookbook called yes. Claudia's Cocina, <laughs> A Taste of Mexico. <laughs> well done. Uh, well done. Thank you. Uh, what was the process like for creating that? I mean, that must have been a dream for you. And how was it like to share your love of cooking and make it into a career in this 
this book that people could take with them and, and be inspired by you? It was insane, first of all. Most authors get between a year to two years to write and develop their books. I had a total of 12 weeks. Um, so I just need you to take that, is take that into <laughs> Just wow. take that minute for a minute and sit with that one for a minute because um, that's that was a lot. Um, so I couldn't have a job. Um, so it was a lot. But I wanted to create a book because I didn't know if it was going to be my only cookbook, right? I wanted to create a book that made Mexican food accessible in such a way that it didn't... I wanted it to be truthful in the sense that I didn't want to change our recipes. I wanted to share the recipe that my grandma taught me how to make beans with, right? I wanted you to learn the basics. I wanted you to learn how to make tortillas from scratch in the beginning. That's why my book starts with literally a chapter called The Basics. Because I think as somebody who's learned a lot from cookbooks, I always felt that cookbooks were just kind of a compilation of recipes. And I didn't want that to be my book. I wanted it to be more storytelling. I wanted you to know why I chose those recipes. I wanted you to know what the thought process was behind why it's set up the way that it is. And I think that was super important, not to mention that it was a way of being able to tell some of those incredible stories of the people that mean the most to me and to be able to pay homage to um, some of the people that taught me some of the best recipes uh, along the way from my uncles to my grandpa, to my grandma, you know, to my mom, obviously. And so being able to share some of those core memories, I think was vital and important, but then also sharing them in a way that made Mexican food accessible and made it easy to understand. So that was quite the job, but I mixed that in with a bunch of the recipes from the show so that if people wanted to know what that judge tasted, they could taste it at home, you know? But yeah, it was, it was, um, it was so much fun, but so much work and I'm so proud of it. I still have every iteration of, you know, the printouts and all of the versions of the look and feel and all of the emails, I still revert to some of the emails where I'm like, why did we do this? <laughs> um, you know, or, or I'm like, oh man, I think that's missing like tablespoon of this or something, you know, and it's, it's just, it's funny. Like I still, I feel like because I'm just so much of like a perfectionist, I'm always like, oh, that could have been better. Um, but that's what my next cookbook's for, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think you're doing just fine. Thank you. Okay, so your daughter... I wanted just to, to mm -hmm. touch upon that. What do you think as a mom, how has your daughter handled your success after the show? And what is the most important lesson that you, you want to teach her? I mean, I'm sure you, you're teaching her every day, but that you want to teach her or that you already taught her. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that, and I just reiterated this again and kind of drilled that back in, right? Um, applying for colleges and universities at this age is really hard. You know, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of like, I don't even know what I want to do with my life. You know, there's a lot of that. And um, at one point, my daughter said to me, well, I'll do it. I'm just going to go to community college. That way I don't have to worry about like applying. Like this is all just too stressful. Like, and I just looked at her and I was like, is that what I taught you? Like, is that what I taught you? Like to just kind of give up because it got too hard. And she was like, shit, you know, like she literally was <laughs> like, shit. I was like, I mean, I'm just, I'm just trying to understand, like, is like, is that, is that the message I gave? Because I'm pretty sure that wasn't the message I was trying to give. Um, and so she kind of laughed a little bit and I was, and I, and I kind of laughed too, because it's like, she knows what the answer to that is. Right. But if anything, I think I want my daughter to much like myself and the way I remember my grandma and my mom, I want her to think of me as somebody who never stopped fighting for her for our place in the world, for every other little girl, you know, other Latina girl, other minority girl that's coming behind us because what we do now is is what's going to determine the future for all of the rest of them, you know? And so I, I just want her to keep fighting. And it doesn't have to be my fight, right? It doesn't have to be food. I think she's really into art. Um, right now she's talking about film, and so she really wants to get into film. But, you know, I, I told her... <laughs> Listen, you could do whatever you want. It could literally be, I don't know, extracting plankton from the ocean. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it could literally be that. <laughs> yeah. But I want you to be the best at that. I want you to work hard, to earn everything that you get, you know, and to be the person that breaks it down to every every minute of understanding. And, and then even when you think you've understood it, go over it again and find out what you can learn from it again. Um, because I think that, that when we don't become complacent with the way that the status quo is, 
is when we learn the most, right? And so I just hope that she that she remembers to keep working hard. You know, when I'm gone, I, I don't ever want her to think like, oh yeah, my mom was lazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want her to be like, my mom was a luchona. She worked hard. She tried hard. She she did everything that she could to make sure that we were successful and that I had all of the opportunities available to me. And if I did that, then I've I've been successful. Right. And just the way you you talk about her and you can tell like she's your world and that's how every mother should be in my opinion. Yeah. Pray for me when she leaves college. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Empty nest syndrome. Here we come. Yeah, for real. (laughs) Check on me again. (laughs) Check on me then. (laughs) Send you like a a haul of tissues. (laughs) Right? But yeah, it is tough. I mean, to see him grow up, I, I can imagine. Yeah. Okay. As a Latina, you're, you know, one of the many talented faces who has stepped in the spotlight, become a public representative of the culture. So what advice would you give to someone, other Latinas out there, or just anyone in general who has been struggling and and with their dreams and and they're thinking of giving up, you know, in that moment of of doubt, like we mentioned earlier, uh, what advice would you give them with everything you've learned so far in your life to keep going, you know, if they're in the food industry or other industries, just to, to not give up hope? Yeah. I'm going to be incredibly honest. I um, I was really inspired by Tenoch Huerta lately. Tenoch Huerta is the, is the person that is in that new Marvel movie, <laughs> Wakanda Forever. <laughs> uh, he, he plays Namor. But he did an interview where he said something that I that has really stuck with me recently. And I think it really is aligned with what I'm currently feeling about Latinidad right now and, and being a Latina in this world right now. And he said something along the lines of like, this world is not made for people like us. And as sad as that is to hear, I think it's important to recognize you are not going to be the first person in line. You are not going to be the first person that they think of. You are not going to be the first person um, that they want for the show, that they want for the space, that they want for their food, that they want, period. You are not going to be the first person. Understanding that will make things so much easier. And I say that because when you understand that, then you don't take it personally. Being a Latina is an uphill, I think being a minority in the United States um, and in this world is, um, is hard. And when you think about those moments where you say, fuck this shit, I'm over this. Like, this has been an uphill climb. Um, nothing is working. Nobody wants to give me work. Nobody wants to give me the show. Nobody wants to hire me. Um, nobody wants to pay me. Um, nobody wants to share my stuff, whatever it is. That's when you have to remember that we have to work harder because when that moment does come, because it will come, the moment will come when somebody says, knock, 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 Claudia, we thought about you for this show. You have to be ready to knock it so far out of the fucking park that they regret not thinking of you first. And I could not agree more with that concept. The previous, uh, the person who didn't win MasterChef uh, on my season has gone on for years about how I did not deserve to win. And, you know, at first I was like, is this me? Is it like a me thing? Is this like, what is this? You know, and, and I got so many hate on Twitter and people saying like, oh, it's, they just wanted to check the box. They just needed the Latina winner. Um, she's affirmative action. And you're going to hear awful things like that. And I think my point back on this subject is that's fine. That's fine because they get 90% of everything else. Um, In fact, I think the most recent statistic is that 7% of roles, for example, in television right now are Latinas, 7%, even though we represent a lot more of that population. So when you get that chance, when you get that opportunity, when you get to the finale, you have to be 10 times more prepared. You have to know how to speak. You have to be the best fucking version of you so that they cannot say no to you because you're not always going to be there first. But damn, you got to make sure you're their last. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. That's yeah. great advice. Yeah. You can feel like your passion in it too. It's not just giving you know a monotone answer. I love your passion when you speak. It's really 
I, I feel like it, it would force people to listen to you, just how passionate you are, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. You know, if we're if, if I was just coming on to a podcast just to BS around, like then what's what's the point, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I think I think these these are these are opportunities to create authentic connections with people, you know. I'm not just a voice on the other side. I'm a human being and I want you to feel that humanity. I want you to feel that yeah, hell yeah, she's been knocked down. But guess what, bitch? She got it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know? It's so true. Like, though, I want yeah. You to know that. yeah, of course. I want you to know that because because if we if we create authentic connections with people, then people people also feel seen. And sometimes it's not even so much like, oh, fucking Chef Claudia, she's so successful. Hell no. I think it's you create a much more authentic connection with people whenever you're vulnerable and whenever you Whenever your your authentic self and when you share authentic feelings, emotions, passions, uh, troubles, why? Because we all have them, and failing to recognize our humanity is a huge mistake, you know. So, so no, you know, if if you're listening to this and you feel seen, girl, like man, whoever you are, just just know that you are not out there alone. We're all fucking struggling, right. and we're just doing the best that we can with the things that are you know in our in, on our plate in front of us. And and if I do say so myself, I think we're doing an excellent job. (laughs) (laughs) We're still here. Exactly. We're out here. We are still living, still kicking. Um, (laughs) All right. So you have social media. Can you just plug your social media? People want to follow you or or a website, whatever you want to plug. Yeah, I have uh, chefclaudiasandoval.com. I'm terrible about my website, but there's good pictures on there that you won't find anywhere else. Um, I have recipes on there, including my famous Tres Leches cake, um, including some of my baked goods, like my sprinkle cookies, my famous sprinkle cookies, um, and any events that I'm doing or um, private dining, if you're interested in private dining in San Diego, or if you want to fly me to wherever you are, I'm available. You can find me on Instagram at Chef Claudia Sandoval, that's uh, S-A-N-D-O-V-A-L, so Sand Oval. Chef Claudia Sandoval on Instagram, Chef Claudia S on Twitter, if that's still alive when this airs. (laughs) 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 Um, And uh, yeah, Chef Claudia Sandoval on Facebook, if your grandmother wants to follow me, just kidding. Um, but yeah, I do, I do all sorts of different, uh, recipes, videos. Um, and I don't do a much of TikTok. I just repost the stuff I make on Instagram. So don't hate me. <laughs> I, I am an, I am a, a little outdated mom at that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You're a busy mom. It's a time suck. That's all it is. It's a time suck, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't get on there. Cause I'm like, there's no way I would spend hours on this thing. <laughs> I know it does. It lures you in. <laughs> oh yeah. It lures it. Yeah. And then you get, and then with me, the way I am, I'm like, Ooh, let me research this. What is this? I'm the worst with that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about the, the, um, the ice cream truck in the background. If you can hear that. Oh, I can't, <laughs> <laughs> but it's great to know. Uh, you I like. still live in the hood. I should probably say that. I still live in the same neighborhood. I live in the house that I grew up in. So yeah, uh, there's still uh, ice cream trucks that pass by here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Nostalgia. <laughs> yes. Okay, Claudia. So um, I'm going to just ask you one more question that I, I ask yeah. every one of my guests uh, at the end of each episode, and it was inspired by a social um, anxiety disorder I suffered as a child. And the question is, if you could say only one more sentence or phrase out loud for the rest of your life, what would it be? out loud like to myself or to the rest of the world the the world would be the last thing you ever said out loud Mm. that's hard that's a good one that's hard um I feel like there's so many things I want to say I'm um I feel like it's like manifestation you know like I don't know I feel like it would be something along the lines of like you are worthy you are kind and I love you kind of like like a little mantra you know because Imagine if I said that out loud and other people heard it and they felt like they smiled, you know, because they felt loved or I think so many things in the world would be so different. And even just for myself as a constant reminder, you are worthy, you are kind, you are loved. That's a perfect one. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so, so much, Claudia, for being a part of the show. I was so excited to talk to you. You just surpassed my expectations. You're lovely. You're funny. You're passionate. (laughs) You're just, I'm boosting your ego. So (laughs) (laughs) keep going, girl. Keep going. Just kidding. (laughs) Uh, No, it's true. We need more people like you in the world. And I just, I just love your humbleness and just, you know, talking about 
where you came from, where you, you've been, where you're at now and where you're headed. I mean, that's life, right? We, we don't stay in yes. one spot forever and people, it's important for people to remember that. So your proof, you're amazing. Please everyone check her out. She's great. Your episode of MasterChef is also on YouTube, right? They can look at that if they haven't seen it. Yeah, I think they're on YouTube. I think they're, it's also on Hulu, if I'm not mistaken, if people have Hulu. If Hulu wants to sponsor the Aaron Gold podcast, please do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why not, I'm right? Plug, right? <laughs> um, yeah, no. <laughs> Reach for the stars. Reach for the stars. Yes. Reach for the stars. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's also available on Hulu. Um, and uh, if you're Spanish speaking, MasterChef Latinos is available on Estrella TV app as well. Right. And it's the sixth season of MasterChef, the US version. Yes. The one where I won. Yes. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Claudia, again. Thank you. It was great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. All right, as I end every episode, I'm going to end this one with a relative inspirational quote. This one's from Hilary Sterling. Food is romantic. Soul. It's about putting everything in your heart onto the plate, hoping it's perceived well. Honestly, it's about passion. It's about love. Thank you all so much for listening. Please make sure you rate, share, and subscribe and review on whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. That will help the podcast get more exposure and I'd greatly appreciate it. And be sure to follow the new Instagram page for the podcast, which is at Aaron Glow Podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode and I hope you catch the next one. Until then, don't forget to glow and shine bright. Mm-hmm.